Today's episode of Your Stories is sponsored by Basecamp. When you use Basecamp to run projects, people know what to do, people know where things are, and you stay on top of everything all the time. That's Basecamp. Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your Stories, to me, has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there, no questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story, and their story is your story, and then it's our story, and then it's a podcast, so it's everybody's story, and then you've shared it, and gosh, that's great, huh? And even if you don't think you're a nerd, you probably are. It's easily the most Midwestern thing I've ever been a part of. Hi everybody, my name is Eric Garnell, and this is part two of the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories April 2015 podcast, recorded in our new home at the Cards Against Humanity Theater, and appropriately featuring the theme, Pick a Card. Uh, this episode we've got cards representatives Alex Cox and Max Temkin in the house, plus local comedians Bill Nielsen, Ashley Keenan, and Brad Einstein, and music from myself, Dwight Hassler, and Claire Friedman, as always. Uh, we just recorded next month's Your Stories at our new digs last night. It was a super fun time, so if you missed it, sorry about that. Uh, in a few weeks, you'll have another really great couple of episodes to listen to. Uh, so until then, don't forget to keep checking our website and Facebook page for more free podcasts and other updates. Uh, that site, of course, www.nerdalogs.com. We really appreciate all your support, guys. Uh, we also want to thank, again, our sponsors for this month, uh, Basecamp, as well as the Chicago Podcast Co-op. We use Basecamp at my day job, and yeah, it is definitely worth checking out if you have projects to manage. It is super great. So, with all that said, please enjoy this podcast. Correct. Peaches come! 
So this is a great time to like have my least prepared story. Um, <laughs> I also didn't pick a card. I just um, Googled one to fit my story because I don't own a copy of Cards Against Humanity in my apartment. <laughs> I should fix that. Um, anyway, so I had boogers. Um, <laughs> I get about 10 sinus infections a year, probably because my nose is just so big that anything can climb up there and infect it. Um, and I was at the doctor, as you do, and um, I just let a typical sinus infection. Uh, they did the whole throat culture thing where they stab you until they you throw up on them, or at least that's what happens to me. <laughs> that's what's normal, right? Um and gave me Flonase, and I went home. I thought everything was good um, until about 10 days later, and the doctor's like, oh, um, so your test came back, and you have whooping cough. And I, that's what my great-grandpa died of, so that was a little alarming. Um, and it turns out I had not been vaccinated for the whooping cough. Um, like, my parents aren't crazy, horrible humans. They, <laughs> I, in fact, I was one of the, I think I was the first kid in my middle school to get the HPV vaccine because the priest was like, the girls will be impure if you get it. But I was like, fuck that. Um, <laughs> and uh, so it's a really long, boring, bureaucratic investigation ensued. And just, um, you get, like, those vaccines, like, ten in a row, from the time, the month you're born until you're six years old, and I just missed last one. Um, and so then I had whooping cough. Ooh. Uh, and so, like, the worst six months of my life ensued. I was, I had to be on codeine and antibiotics, and uh, if no one knew, no one from here knew me, I think, at that time, but I was a much nicer, more friendly human being on codeine. <laughs> um, 
I get really, I, I get cravings for uh, Gatorade at midnight and have really long existential conversations with the 7-Eleven guys next to my dorm. Um, they would like have my favorite flavors out when I um, got there. It was really sad, but nice. <laughs> um, Anyway, so I got better, um, and then the following year, I'm at the doctor again, getting my throat poked, as you do, and uh, a week later, I get another call, uh, you have a whooping cough, <laughs> and I, no one had thought to tell me that it wasn't like chicken pox. You should definitely get vaccinated, if even if you've already had it, so then... Again, I have whooping cough, um, and it's another six months of a lot of codeine and horribleness. And I met my girlfriend, and at, at this time, I'm, like, getting better. And she's like, oh, yeah, I haven't gotten sick from you yet. I'm like, oh, oh it's fine. I'm sure you've had all your shots, which isn't something you want to tell somebody. <laughs> that was a really great conversation. <laughs> um, so I really, I really like to whip out this conversation with, uh, or whip out the story when I see my friends on Facebook from high school who are like, yeah, it's my, my choice, um, to give my child vaccination or whatever. I'm like, well, really? I mean, and then I tell them about the throwing up and the 7-Eleven codeine and they get really scared and take their kids to the, do- the doctor. Um, but what they don't tell you is that it's an only 80 to 85% effective um, vaccination. So you're three into this. I'm at the doctor again. And hey, surprise, I got whooping cough for a third time in a row. Um, I, I know, I know. You don't need to be that sad. It's It was, it was last year. It's over now. Um, I have no moral to this story. Just that um, over that amount of time, like, there were so many boogers, and it was so awful. Uh, <laughs> um... But there were, it was actually, I, the very last uh, time I had whooping cough, it was, uh, I was at C2E2, and I came to a C2E2 after party, and it was um, here, except not here, it was at the public house, and everyone was really sweet, even though I, like, literally sneezed on other humans. Um, so, yeah, I'm really glad that I don't need to go to Wrigleyville anymore, and I can only, I only need to go to my house and my office to come to your stories, so thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks, Al. I'm glad, I'm glad we can make this convenient for those of you who work here. <laughs> Alright, but straight up though, the parking here is amazing. If you have a car, like, God damn it, this is so much better than having to fight for spaces a half mile from Wrigley. Kill me. Alright guys, this next gentleman I have played Magic the Gathering with and he has beaten me roundly. That should be a testament to his character. This is Bill Nielsen. You know, I moved to Chicago about a year and a half ago uh, with the dream of becoming a professional comedian. But the uh, eight years before that, my dream was to be a professional card player, and unfortunately this pooches the bit a little bit, but uh, it wasn't to be a professional poker player or, you know, count cards at a blackjack table. It was to be a professional Magic the Gathering player. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you want my mom's phone number? You can call her and tell her it was great, too. <laughs> um, 
But about from the time I graduated from high school, uh, magic became my passion. Uh, my three favorite activities were playing Magic the Gathering, traveling to events to play Magic the Gathering, or talking to my friends about Magic the Gathering. <laughs> and it, it made me feel comfortable. It made me feel like I had an identity of my own, uh, something that I didn't always have when I was younger, or something that was given to me that I didn't always want. And for a few years, I'd been playing and playing, practicing and practicing, and finally, I won a big tournament uh, in Mississauga, Ontario, a, what's called a Pro Tour Qualifier. And in addition to the regular prize you would win for this tournament, which is more magic cards, <laughs> you also get uh, entry into a Pro Tour tournament, this one being held in Charleston, South Carolina, and airfare uh, to and from. And so I was like, yes, this is me. This is going to be the next step on my journey to being a pro magic player. And so, of course, I kept practicing, but I also was like, I need to prepare and how I'm going to look. <laughs> and so when I was, after I'd gotten done practicing, getting ready, when I was packing, I decided that I was going to wear this on the first day of the tournament. I was going to wear a T-shirt with a graphic on it, and a pair of gym shorts to show not as a casual, ironic thing like, I don't care how I look. I wanted to genuinely impress people by wearing a graphic t-shirt and gym shorts. <laughs> and, and I mean, clearly this presents a ton of logistical problems. I mean, you can imagine if you have your deck in one pocket and your cell phone in the other, where do you put your wallet? Well, in your backpack, of course. <laughs> I had every angle figured out, guys. So I went into the event. Uh, there's a little preliminary event the night before where you can meet people. They register you. And I saw everyone around, walking around, getting the last cards for their deck or trading. And I thought, yeah, this is the start of my new life. This is going to be what I'm going to be doing now for the next five, ten years. And the next day, I found out that I was not going to be doing this for the next five or ten years. Unfortunately, there were a lot of people who were very talented or very much more prepared than me or just much more experienced than me, and I was drummed out in a really quick fashion. Uh, that wasn't the bad part, though. Uh, the bad part was the next day. Uh, there, are, there are side events that occur during the Pro Tour if you get kicked out early so you can keep playing. <laughs> and for one of them, I won, and so I went to the front table to report my result, but I left my backpack at the table. And when I went back, it had wandered away. And at a lot of these tournaments, everyone has a backpack. Everyone has cards. There's no way to identify your cards or your backpack. And after a bunch of walking around the event hall and creepily peering into the backseat of people's cars in the parking lot, I determined that all my cards and my wallet were gone. Magic players are bastards. (laughs) I'm a magic player. Don't say that. Shut your mouth. Uh, so the next 36 hours weren't that great. Uh, I had to call my credit card company to cancel my card, go call the airline to see if I could still fly because now I no longer had a valid ID. I had my boarding pass, but I had no driver's license, anything. And I had to tell my friend who had let, I had let him keep his cards in my bag. I had to tell him all his cards were gone too. <laughs> He forgave me. He forgave me. He understood. Uh, but really, at the end of the weekend, I felt like, I, without any cards, without any, in my mind, talent, that I lost everything. I wasn't a magic player. I had no identity. And 
what I learned in the aftermath of that was that magic wasn't my identity. There is not one thing that can define you as a person. I kept playing magic, and I kept enjoying it, and I've played it pretty much now up until the present day. And I even won some more Pro Tour qualifiers. It didn't have to be the only thing I did in my life. And I found that out because I started doing improv comedy in my hometown of Buffalo, New York. And that became my next passion. But that also doesn't define me. I'm made up of a multitude of different things. And hopefully, you will not define me from my horrible, horrible fashion choices. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you, Bill. That story kind of hit home. I I work those shows a lot. It also gave me a great insight into why people make the fashion choices that they do at those things. (laughs) My favorite is the, I'm going to wear the same t-shirt that doesn't really fit me three days in a row. It's a a Magic Player classic. (laughs) I say that as a Magic Player. All right. Coming next to the stage, Miss Ashley Keenan. picked a very funny card, as you can tell. (laughs) Last year, somewhere in the depths of an oyster-gray winter, I realized for the first time in my life that I was terrified of people. At grocery stores, I'd swipe my card and quietly thank the cashier, eyes locked on the speckled white tile floor while gathering my bags. In the elevator at work, I'd hold my breath when others tried to make conversation, knees cringing as I'd attempt to follow along thinking, just be a normal person, Ashley, come on. (laughs) Um, Then one day, after taking coffee at my usual place on lunch, I happened to glance over my shoulder before stepping outside. Behind the counter looked a tall, lanky kid, black-brown hair peeking out from under his beanie. His His cheeks were flaming red as we made accidental eye contact. I felt like I had been caught, like I had been seen for the first time in months. My guard completely faded as his lips parted, and he gingerly whispered bye, just as I did the same. I hurried away from the coffee shop, feeling dizzy and afraid, somehow looking into his wet brown eyes. I had come to know him, too much of him, and the idea of interacting again sent a carbonated feeling down my spine. Over the next few weeks, we continued to engage like this. We shared only essential words, please and thank you, and clarification of orders. But somehow... Between these words, I felt a magnetic pull, a sense that we had known each other for a very long time. Finally, late one December night, I decided to chase my curiosity. I wanted to see what would happen if I exchanged secrets with a stranger just for a month. I wrote the following letter to Coffee Shop Boy, a.k.a. David. Dear David, you seem interesting. You seem awake, like the type of person who is always observing but rarely speaks up. Someone who has a brilliant story to share, but falls silent when another person interrupts. I've been curious. What would happen if, for every stranger we encountered in a day, we got to learn one of their darkest secrets? Would we treat them differently? What would happen if two people who know nothing about one another were to share their thoughts, unfiltered, unkept, thoughts that are too instantaneous for judgment or analysis? Here's my idea. I'll start a game by leaving a note for you today. This note will be gibberish. It'll be whatever purple-green fairy thought I happen to have at the moment. Anyway, if you want to participate, you can leave a note for me tomorrow following in the same vein. It can be a secret, a stream of conscious thought, or first impression. The only two rules are, one, do not edit yourself, and two, don't talk to me until the project is over. Best regards, Ashley, 2.06 a.m.
I thought it was very important to timestamp this <laughs> for some reason. I was like, as if it legitimized the whole project. I was like, oh no, sir, sir, I'm, I'm not crazy. It, it has a timestamp. <laughs> anyway, the next day I took lunch as usual, laptop propped open, guarding me from accidental conversation with others. The invitation glared up at me from the table. I still wasn't sure if the project would be a good idea. What if I frightened him? What if he had his boss kick me out? Or, or worse yet, what if he thought I was hitting on him? I'd look like that, like some crazed girl trying to act out a D, D-list romantic comedy. What happens when sweet, shy Snooky seeks love with her wacky barista, Guy Busey? Watch, I know no stranger on Lifetime at 8. <laughs> Just then, David came through the door, snow-dusted and shivering by the counter. My face burned. I ducked my head down, and I ducked my head down when he looked in my direction. My stomach turned acid, and I sh- as I shimmied into my coat, I tore a page out of my sketchbook and scratched out the first thought that came to mind, slid it in with my original letter, and handed him the envelope, saying only, This is weird. This is for you. Sorry if this is weird. <laughs> His cheeks were blazing as he gently accepted the note. We looked at each other for a moment, said nothing, and I pushed through the door. Walking back to work, my shoulder blades felt like they were made of glass, wind searing my face. I kept thinking of what I had written, how wretched it was to have something so raw, so isolated from context in the palms of a stranger. The words turned in my head again and again like a drunken ballerina. Sometimes I envy women living under burkas. I have nothing to hide but I want a shield. I tried to figure out what it meant and what he th- would think it meant, and I wished very badly to have an eraser. The next day, as one o'clock grew near, my eyes were dull and hollow, as if my face had been carved in soft, soft stone. Somehow I reached into my anxiety and convinced myself to let curiosity drive. Just go today, get an answer, and then what? If he doesn't want to participate, I can run away, hide from this four-block radius. I can get a job in another city, another country. I can retell this story to myself enough times that I can invent a new reality. (laughs) Stepping into the Chicago winter, the wind felt like a thousand strangers had lined up to slap me in the face. My eyes cinched as the snow cut through the sky. I rounded the corner, opened the door to the cafe, and stood in line, no David in sight. A chirpy young redhead took my order, asking about my day between pouring coffee... I imagined a corporate checkbox hovering above her head. Now offer the pastry. Now thank the guest again. Uh, Why was this so much different than interacting with David? At at face value, our interactions were identical. Maybe I had misunderstood the whole situation, projecting some sort of vulnerability onto him that wasn't really there. I took a seat in the back in a dark corner, vowing to never come to this place again. Then, just as I settled in, a tall black shadow emerged at the tip of my peripheral. He was lingering close by. My pulse felt like a whip behind my eyelids. I pretended to be laser-focused on writing, but I was sodden with anxiety. It was too much. I scowled as if I was late for a meeting, snatching up my belongings and rushing to the door. I quickly reached for the handle, hood drawn drawn tight around my cheeks, when a pale, slender hand paused on top of my own. David towered in front of me with a worried smile. I'm sorry, I said, and I turned back toward the door. No, he replied, reaching into his apron to retrieve a small white envelope. Don't be. We grinned at each other for a second, and then, without another word, his note glowing in my palm, 
I stepped back into the swirl of winter, a mosaic of black coats, salt-coated buses, and downward stairs, a city shut down but still in motion. Man, Ashley, that was a story. Holy shit, thank you so much. Uh, someone else is going to introduce our next speaker. Come oh, on up see. here. It's Claire. Yeah. Uh, I just want to introduce our next speaker really quick. Uh, we ducked out earlier because tonight uh, my boyfriend, Brad Einstein, made his TV premiere on Shameless, and it aired during this, and so we went and watched it. We saw... William H. Macy. It was great. It was wonderful. Anyway, uh, our next speaker is the sweetest human being on the planet, uh, Brad Einstein. Uh, you motherfucker. Um. <laughs> dichotomy is actually what my story is going to be about. And forgive me if it's a little rambling. Oh, I'm just going to hold it. Cool. I'm going to hold this. Um, yeah, so the card that I picked was the Your Text Here card from Apples to Apples. Um, if anybody knows that game, uh, I don't know if it exists anymore, probably because of you guys. Uh, but... Um, I'm sure you guys can't admit because of legal reasons, but I imagine at some point a group of 19-year-old boys looked at an apples-to-apples your text here card and imagined, hey, what if we just put our text here? What if we just said, like, all the shit that, like, propriety says we cannot do? What if, what if, what if we do all, like, the fun shit that people are like, ooh, you can't say that, but let's say that, ooh, yeah. We're going to take out the cards that say Catherine Zeta-Jones, and we're going to put in a car that says Automotive Fatality. (laughs) We're going to take out tectonic plates, and we're going to put in date rape, and then we're going to think for more than 30 seconds and take date rape back out. But instead, we're going to put in, like, bar mitzvah blood bukkake. Yeah! (laughs) And I love that. I love that. I love that feeling. And all of my comedy and my entire life kind of stems from that idea of, like, I want to live in a world where I don't have to do what propriety says is okay. I'm going to do what, like, oh, that makes me uncomfortable. Like, my entire relationship with Claire is like, Claire's like, don't say that. I'm like, oh, if you don't want me to say it, I'm definitely going to say that. Uh, and like, uh, for those who don't know me, I'm a, I'm a comedian, I guess, ish in the city. And, um, uh, I, I, I really admire cards because like, I am trying to make people laugh. I'm spending my, most of my time trying to convince people in some way to pay me to, to be funny. Whereas cards is really smart and they're like, hey, you pay us to, for a way to be funny. Like, these cards will make, will make you funny. You, you use this Mad Lib kind of thing, and you put this thing into this thing, and congratulations, Melissa, you made comedy. Um, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. I, I'm trying to, like, sell a man a fish, and you guys are teaching a man how to f- comedy fish. 
and selling them like expansion packs of worms like every six to eight months. And it's like really like a kind like with all due it's like a beautiful pyramid scheme of like we will show you how to be funny that has only been perfected by Cards Against Humanity and like Sharna Halpern. Um, uh, I would I would also say Second City, but they give me money, so I love you. Um, um, but uh, but but for real, in, in in my comedy, like I always love to like live in that world where you. you Propriety is is not cool, and they, like you're like oh, oh that's fun, and like all my characters are like the Koch brothers getting like fucking Eiffel towered by like a anime tentacle monster that but like that is also Ayn Rand or like or like a, a director of an ISIS beheading video teaching you how to have like a viral hit like I'm like yeah that's the shit I want to live in all the time, but I also use that as like a crutch all the time to kind of like protect my soft little like baby body. Like um, Katie Johnson Smith at this last Your Stories, um, uh, at Valentine's Day, uh, I'm going to say this just so you know I'm a genuine nice person. Uh, for Valentine's Day, Claire and I, uh, I made Claire this dinner that was like six courses and every course was like a... Uh, was like a playoff and inside joke that we had had in our relationship. And um, Katie came up to me and she was like, Hey, Brad, Claire told me about what you did at dinner. That's really, really sweet. And just you big softy. And I should have said, Hey, thank you. <laughs> what I did say was, Claire had to say that. She had a knife to her throat. <laughs> Johnson Smith, and now a room full of her friends and co-workers think that I'm a knife-wielding psychopath than, like, a, a nice guy. <laughs> and, like, and, and I think, like, that, mo that moment, and let's forget about that, because this the actual story I'm going to tell is going to make you be like, oh, boy. So let's forget I ever said that to Katie Johnson Smith. But I think that, like, like, like that moment that, that really uh, made me realize that, like, going farther past what propriety um, allowed was was in middle school where like everyone has this version of the story but like mine is the most Americana kind of version of this story ever where like I would I lived across the street from my middle school and every day I would get the shit kicked out of me every single day I would get the shit kicked out of me by my two bullies one was named Mikey Spaziani and went by Spaz and the other one was Mitch Butts who went by butts. So every day, I would get the shit kicked out of me by spaz and butts. And what would happen was they would walk from behind me, and there would there would be Brad with his book bag, um, his book bag, his roller book bag on, because my mom cared more about my back health than my social standings. Um, uh, my purple lunchbox in one hand, and my oboe case in the other hand. Thank you for you. Thank you for like just going, oh no. And like, I, I don't, I don't want to have a dweeb off in this like fucking cavalcade of Morlocks, but like, I, I will, I will say like the dweebiest sentence I can say comes from my life was I had to stop playing the oboe because I developed an allergy to the reeds. <laughs> Thank you.
show. So every day they would come up, flip my book bag over my head, and like just beat the shit out of me. And I would be like, oh no, get off, I can't drop my oboe. And so I'd be like flapping like a doomed albatross, I suppose. And and just get this shit kicked out of me every day, like and and like I lived across the street from a pond, and I have a like they like smash my face into goose shit and laugh, and I'd be like, "Fuck, it's okay, I'm fine, we're doing okay." Uh, uh, except for the one day that I realized, like, oh my god, the only way to beat these guys is like they're still doing like what bully stuff does. I have to like go farther than they're willing to go. Like, if they're beating the shit out of me, apples to apples style, I'm going to have to beat the shit out of them, Cards Against Humanity style. Um, let's say, just for the sake of this, that's not what I thought at the time. It wasn't invented. Uh, so they, they go to beat me up, and it's a, a one time that I realized, hey, I can let go of my oboe. Um, I've got hands and arms, too. So this is not something I'm proud of, but I dropped my oboe, and I dropped my... Uh, my lunchbox, and I fucking destroyed Mikey Spaziani, because I had that beautiful time period where, like, puberty hits, and you realize you have a bigger body, like, in your body than you have in your mind, and you're like, holy shit, this is amazing, and, like, instead of grinding his face into goose shit, I ground his face into gravel, and then held his head down and punched it three times to accentuate the phrase never touch me again. That's fucked. (laughs) One person who laughed. Because like I went home and I like wept for three hours. Because I'm like that's disgusting. I'm terrible. I saw Mikey the next day and he looked like the bad guy from Greece. (laughs) And like and like it was terrible but at the same time i'm like holy shit if i just like am cooler and like more bad boy than them they're not going to touch me anymore and like people used to call me blowjob because my name was bradley jordan and after that i used to cry but after i beat the shit out of uh mikey spaziani people would call me blowjob and i'd be like everybody likes a good beach and a lot of you can say, oh my god, Brad, this is disgusting. This is about, this is about like, just like, raising the stakes, like, an arms race. You just went farther than them. That's disgusting. That's what's wrong with society. Look at friggin' ISIS. Look at friggin' the Ukraine. Look at Palestine. You're doing the same thing they were. I refuse to do that because if I did that, I'd have to recognize that Palestinians were people and we don't want to do that, right, Katie? Exactly. <laughs> But rather, rather, I, I, I like to think that, that I've always lived in a world that, like, propriety I don't like. And, and, and half the time, like, as evidenced with me against spaz and butts or Katie Johnson Smith last Valentine's Day, I use it to hide who I actually am, who's like a soft little oboe carrying baby boy. But, um, uh, on the other side of it, pushing past propriety, uh, can be, which I like to think I'm trying to do with my comedy, and which Cards Against Humanity certainly succeeds at, can just be a whole hell of a lot of fun. Okay, I'm going to end that, even though it was pretentious. I'm going to stop talking. Thank you.
don't be too mad at Claire. I was going to give you basically the same introduction, kiss and all. So, uh, next show, buddy. Next show. All right, guys, we have one more storyteller tonight. He is one of the co-creators of Cards Against Humanity. Side note, he just kick-started a zine very successfully. He will also be a guest at Pastime 3 Comic Book Day for a little bit. This is Max Temkin. Thank you. Well, I didn't realize I'd be following uh, Showtime's uh, Brad Einstein from that. <laughs> from uh, from that one show. Um, all right. So, oh look, it's working. Cool. All right. So I I the uh, I just picked whatever card I wanted, uh, and I guess uh, I have a story about all of them. Uh, but the one I picked is uh, mathematically the funniest. Uh, card in Cards Against Humanity, which is the biggest blackest dick, um, and it's also uh, and it's also the card that almost uh, destroyed our company uh, because of uh, the fight that we had uh, about it and uh, what we wound up doing with it. Um, so a little bit of background. So this is uh, a picture of most of us. Uh, so Cards is made by eight guys. We all grew up together, um, and the company is it's a it's a really weird company. Uh, there's no structure, so we, there's no hierarchy. No one's in charge. We all just have like an equal split of it. And we uh, we make decisions by consensus, so we don't even like to vote on anything because even if it's seven to one, we don't want the one person um, to get uh, left out. And occasionally, you know, most of the time this this works pretty well for us because it, it prevents us from doing really stupid stuff because we'll we'll talk things to death. Um, but also, uh, uh, sometimes we can get ourselves into trouble. Um, so the story of the biggest blackest dick um, comes from the early days of cards. Uh, when so we had made the main game and then we had started to release some expansions and after a while uh, the most common customer service email we were getting was people asking for a like a box like a carrying case like this is something that that I think comes out of the Magic the Gathering community where there's a lot of like merchandise and stuff to put your cards in and people wanted like an official case to carry cards against humanity in so as per our usual dynamic with the eight of us the guys were in favor of making people happy and making a new product and selling it to them. And I was in favor of telling people to fuck off because a box is really tacky and it's like a silly garbage uh, product and people shouldn't have to spend money on a box. Um, and I also, I didn't want to be in the box business. Uh, and I thought that it was really lame to come to our website where we're trying to, you know, give people this this funny experience and there's a, you know, the first thing you see is like new carrying case for Cards Against Humanity so you can put all this complicated stuff in a, in a precious little box. Um, so we talked about this for, I want to say, like over a year. It became this really long, sprawling, uh, intractable argument. And um, eventually the answer was uh, to kind of go all in with it. And this was the product that we came up with. So we had spent a year iterating on products. Like this is actually one of the prototypes that we made. So this is like a scale Cards Against Humanity box, which is twice as big, which was like the, the obvious sort of uh, visual pun that we could make. Um, but we settled on, uh, we were sort of experimenting with a lot of different box designs, and this was the thing we settled on. So this is like an, an, an unusably long, like, baguette of a box. Uh, and it's super, uh, it's, it's super, uh, it's super inconvenient. It's really silly to see people carrying it. Like, it doesn't really, if you're trying to take it on a bicycle, it doesn't quite fit in a backpack. It doesn't fit on the IKEA Expedit bookshelf that literally every single person in the world has. Um, it was just, it just became this really silly product that made us laugh. Um, and we also had come up with this name, the Bigger Blacker Box, 
Um, and this, I probably should, I, I guess I, I need to back up and explain this. So we, so in the, in the early days of cards, like none of us have any experiences, uh, writers or game designers or comedians or anything that would uh, qualify us in any way to make this game. Um, so we, we, the, the card writing process was always very like we would we would write a bunch everything we could think of on a legal pad and then the things that still made us laugh like a week later they would go in the game um, and at some point because a lot of the guys are like mathematicians and physicists and they work with data and stuff they got this idea that oh we need the we should have data to tell us what's funny and that became another uh, uh, long argument but eventually we did it and we created this model of the game where it modeled it out where we gave people ten cards and we asked them which was the funniest for a black card. And it turns out that by a huge margin, by like an order of magnitude, the funniest card in the game was a big black dick, which none of us had expected. But it sort of had, it, it had a little bit of everything. Um, I always think there's, there's, there's some reason that uh, uh, a thing is funny to people. So I think it probably speaks to a lot of um, particular American uh, hang-ups about race and sexuality. But this card just, for whatever reason... It just stood way out from the pack as being the funniest card. So as we were working on uh, the first expansion, um, I think maybe the second expansion, we were like, well, obviously this is like a free card. We've got to do the bigger, a bigger blacker dick, and it's going to be twice as funny. And we sort of put it in, being like, this is going to kill the joke of the funniest card in the game, but it's we got to try it. And we did, and then that became the only card in the game that was funnier than a big black dick. Um, so then our top... Uh, so... And we're like, we were like, we were like cursed with this because then in the next expansion it became, it was like, well, you know, people were already had been emailing us like, where's the biggest blackest stick? And it became this, uh, thing that was expected of us. And we really, we really did not want to do it. So we went a long time without writing that card. But, uh, eventually we came up with this stupid box. And we were like, we've got to find a way um, to work in the biggest, blackest dick in, in this box uh, in a way that's still going to be really inconvenient for people. Um, so when we started designing the box, we came up with this conceit that there was no, that like, you know, selling a box is just impossibly lame. And we there's no way for us to pretend that that's not the case. So we have to go all in. We have to make this. Not only do we have to, like, make this the, the, the greatest box that we can possibly make, but we have to, that's the marketing for it, is like, like, boxes are amazing, we love boxes, and this is the greatest box that's ever been made. Um, so we did, uh, so this is the design of the box, we did the, uh, we didn't put our logo on it, which is pretty cool, uh, the only time our logo appears is we did this, uh, this sort of cut up collage uh, of this game on the bottom, and, and the logo is sort of chopped up in there, so it, it kind of became this like, um, um, punk rock uh, uh, play on the game. And uh, we uh, we wrote a box expansion, so we wrote a bunch of cards about boxes, um, <laughs> and we took some Cards Against Humanity cards, like, uh, well, I think we have some of them in here, actually, I'll show you in a second. Um, but we took that card, the biggest, blackest dick, and we printed it in with a foil inlay. We did the letters as, like, a foil imprint, which is super expensive. And then we found a way to hide it in the lining of the top of the box so that you had no idea it was there and it was invisible, and we just shipped it. Um, so for that box expansion, we did a combination of, yeah, here's some of them. We did a combination of just original box humor, like the greatest box hits, but then we also took some of our, uh, our existing cards, like former President George W. Bush, and turned him into former President George W. Box. Um, and as we're working on this, like, we started envisioning this idea of, like, that we're just, we, we, we love boxes, we think boxes are amazing, and this is the, like, this is like the Cadillac of boxes. So we, we were like, we need to do like a really juicy like car commercial to launch this thing. So we started working on copy and we came up with this, this incredibly dumb 
uh, sort of commercial that we wrote. So you may get to imagine like the guy who does like the British like Jaguar commercial. It weighs 17 ounces. It's 21 inches long. It's black as the night, and it's completely empty inside. Um, and then we actually went out and found the guy who does the Jaguar commercials. <laughs> It's 21 inches long. It's black as the night. And it's completely empty inside. Oh, man. That's still really funny. Uh... And we found, uh, uh, we also found, uh, so we wanted to use the, the, the really cool fight music from Kill Bill, So we, uh, but we're not allowed to legally, so we went to a recording studio in Chicago and created our own legally distinct version of that music. Here's, here's the final video that uh, shipped with the box. It weighs 17 ounces. It's 21 inches long. It's black as the night. And it's completely empty inside. It's got six sides. And each is more amazing than the next. But wait till you see the inside. From Cards Against Humanity, it's a bigger, blacker box. Uh, so that's so that was the uh, thank you. So that was the that was the uh, that was the resolution of that fight. We sort of we found we found a way to like out uh, out stupid ourselves um, um, out of that argument. Um, and it was interesting because at a certain point, like we just had to uh, um, in putting that product together, we just had to overcome our tendency to uh, like uh, discuss and uh, and have these like Talmudic debates about uh, every every decision, and we just had to sort of jump into it and be like, "This is the joke, and we're going to go for it 100 percent." And that lesson um, paid off for us because the year after we started doing this thing called Holiday Bullshit, where we send out uh, these sort of random goofy gifts to everyone. And one of the big things that we do for Holiday Bullshit is because uh, sign-ups are really limited for this thing. It sells out. And uh, we always try to make some sort of media for people at home who didn't get the gifts but want to follow along uh, to be a part of it. And it's usually pretty easy. It's like if we send people a little game that we make, we, we post a free version of the game. and We're just like, here, download it, and here's a video of the rules. Uh, but for one of the days of Holiday Bullshit, we like obviously had to do a joke where we sent everyone a lump of coal who signed up. It was like the low-hanging fruit, but we had to do it. Um, and it became really uh, difficult because we had no idea how do you explain that to people at home who didn't sign up? How do you what do you say? Like uh, we sent a bunch of people who aren't you coal, and it was really funny, uh, but you have no way of enjoying it. And we agonized over that for a long time, and we almost cut the coal because there was no. It's not a great story to be like we sent we sent this this sort of funny gag gift to someone who wasn't you. And after we talked about it for a really long time, we realized that it was the same problem as the bigger blacker box, and it had the exact same solution. It weighs 28 grams. It was formed in the Earth's crust over millions of years. It's black as the night, and it's the leading cause of acid rain. It's the stuff of diamonds. It fueled the Industrial Revolution, and it can power a lamp for up to 20 minutes. From Cards Against Humanity, 
It's a lump of coal. I, uh, I thought I would. Oh, and then also people found the card in the box, and it was uh, popular in Tumblr. Um, so uh, anyway, the, I, I guess uh, the moral of the story here is uh, this was a good uh, uh, case of us learning to like trust our guts uh, and not uh, over-intellectualize uh, comedy and, and just to learn to be comfortable with um, a funny idea or an idea that felt right to us. Uh, and I thought I would close with a little uh, quote from uh, a guy in Chicago who I really like named Jim Kudal. He makes uh, field notes and a lot of cool stuff. Um, and he actually figured this out years before, but uh, unfortunately uh, I only saw this talk afterwards. But I thought this was uh, the perfect closing line. Um, one of our things is let's not talk things to death. Like ideas take the path of least resistance. And most often the path of least resistance is, oh, here's all the reasons we can't do that. So we tend to say, let's move quickly on this, and if we're wrong, we can just torch the whole thing. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Max. Yeah. That shit is cool. And cool. It's also cool. Guys, thank you so much. This is a super great night. We love this new space. Thank you all for being a part of helping us break it in. Uh, yeah, you can clap. Yeah, clap on that. So, we do this the third Sunday of every month. Uh, so come on back next month. I believe... Oh, it's Brad. Uh, you can just... Okay. Oh. I believe next month we will be hosting uh, Arcade Brewery as our special guest. I'm going to try to get him to bring some beer. We'll see if that Whoa. works. I know. <laughs> Adult beverages. So when I went to sit down after the second act, like after we did our songs, I felt like this cold chill on my shoulder, and it was Mike Chuck like rubbing a beer can on my arm to give it to me, which was really sweet and thoughtful, but for a second it was like, what the fuck is going on? What, what's happening? This is weird and alien. Thank you, Mike Chuck. <laughs> All right. So this is a song. Yeah, Claire, can you explain the connection between this card that's on the screen and this song? Yeah, so um, we uh, we always have a, a Cover Stories email chain that I'm uh, always at least a week behind on. Uh, <laughs> that uh, Where we kind of like talk about the theme and we figure out uh, songs that fit it. And so I was looking through the spreadsheet of cards and I was like, oh, Unfathomable Stupidity, what song that I like has some people doing some really stupid, stupid shit in it. Um, and I thought about uh, this song, Home, by Edward Sharp and Magnetic Zeros, um, because the people in it, at their core, are very sweet idiots. <laughs> but, guys, there's a double meaning, because this is our new home. Yeah. Oh, we didn't even think about that! So I was really hoping in the new space Chris wouldn't have access to the lights. This is, this is really disheartening. I, I, don't, I think I've lost the ability to whistle thanks to that beer Mike Chuck gave me. So if you guys want to take this top part, okay. one, two, three, four.
Smoking a cigarette you thought would be your last. I was falling deep, deeply in love with you, and I never told you till just now. Oh, let me come home. Home is wherever I'm with you. Oh, let me come home. Home is wherever I'm with you. Oh, let me come home. Boats and waterfalls. 
This has been a Nerdalogs production. For more on the Nerdalogs and our shows, please go to www.nerdalogs.com. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.